0: Good afternoon, brethren. Nice to be here today. It's even nicer that uh, my cousin, Mr. McNair there, didn't have anything too bad to say about me. I was a little bit worried there, but as he said, I get the, I get the last word in, so uh, I'll be kind to him then. I guess I won't say anything about him. Although I have to say, my dad did make some comments before church to me about having lowered the standards, and... Um, I just said, well, I'll I'll do what I can to stand up to your approval rating here. But uh, anyway, I'm uh, happy to be able to be here today with you all and speak to you. This is, I think, as most of all of you know, this is my first chance to give a full sermon here at headquarters. So hopefully I'll uh, meet your approvals as well. But uh, it is a very exciting time that we're living in. And I'm not talking about what's going on in the world and the meltdown in Wall Street and all the fighting and everything else that's happening in this world. I'm talking about that this is an exciting season that we are in. The world has their exciting season. They say, tis the season to be jolly, fa-la-la-la-la. But for us, as we look forward to the upcoming fall holy days, this is truly An exciting time for us. It should be a very exciting time for us. As we look forward to keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, how exciting is that? We're all abuzz with where are you going to go and what are you going to do and where are you going to stay and all of those kinds of things. It's exciting as we look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles. But upcoming here just in a few days, of course, we're looking forward to the Feast of Trumpets, which as far as I'm concerned personally is probably one of the most exciting feasts That there really is when we think about it as a Christian. Because that is the time that we look forward to that we will no longer be the way that we are today. We'll no longer be flesh and blood if we have qualified. We will be raised up, we will be made God beings, very sons of God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 53. Because I think we all know this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I think, like I said, it is an exciting time that we all want to look forward to, and we should all think about as we approach this, and as we heard about in the sermonette today, be thankful for it. Be so very thankful for our calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, Paul writes, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In this Fleshly body, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It has to be different. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Yes. We shall be changed. If we do the things that God expects of us, if we love him, if we obey him, we shall be changed. But before this change can take place, there's another change that has to take place in our lives. A very important change that we all have to undergo. Part of that change is what we heard about in the last couple of sermons from Mr. Ames as he talked about developing holy, righteous, godly character. Our very character has to change. That is so very important. And this character is something that we're not inherently born with. We We are not born having good character. It's something that we have to develop. It's something that we have to work at day after day after day. We have to continue on yet. It's something that we can only develop if we have surgery. Did you know that? Now, here I am, setting new doctrine. We all need surgery. Now, see, I was talking to my dad yesterday, and he was talking about, well, I think I'm going to go, I will live on for a little while longer, at least as long as I don't have a stroke with what you're going to say in the sermon tomorrow. But he hasn't stroked yet, I guess. But the surgery that I'm talking about is not a physical surgery. It's a spiritual surgery. It's a type of surgery that has to be done very specifically by a specific person. Mr. Ames quoted a scripture that involves this concept over in Psalm 51 as he talked about the heart. Psalm 51 in verse 10, David wrote, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me. Notice he says, create it. It isn't there. We aren't inherently born with a clean, pure heart. We don't have that when we're born. And this is the focus of my sermon today and what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the heart. And the title of my sermon is, A Change of heart a change of heart turn over to ezekiel chapter 36 ezekiel 36 a familiar scripture and a prophecy of what is to come as we look forward to once again the millennial period that we're coming up to in the in the feast of tabernacles but it's a process that is not only happening then, but it's something that should be happening now with us at this time. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. Ezekiel writes, I will give you a new heart. God's saying this, of course. Prophetically, in the future, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God says we need a new heart. He's going to take the heart of stone out of mankind and give them a heart of flesh. A heart that's malleable. A heart that will love God. You cannot love God with a hard heart. It cannot be done. And he says he's going to give you that. As I said, this is a prophecy for the future. But this is what is going on in our lives right now as God is working with us, as he is calling us out of the world, as he is developing us to be his sons in his family. He goes on to say in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. If God has called us now and we have been baptized by God's ministers, we have his spirit. We have that new heart because the heart that we're born with is no good. It's no good. Turn back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Shortly after God had created mankind on this earth, He was sorrowful for what had happened. And in Genesis six chapter chapter 6 verse 5, He writes, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually continually the heart of man the heart of this world is continually evil we live in an evil world because it has an evil heart it has a heart of stone he goes on to write and the lord was sorry he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart god's heart was grieved he was upset Because of what man had done. And so we know the story. God destroyed mankind, all except for one man and his family, Noah. And if you turn over a couple more chapters to chapter 8, we see another glimpse into man's heart. After the world has been destroyed by this great flood, we read in chapter 8 and verse 2, Noah has built an altar, and he says in verse 2, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. You see what that says? The heart of man is evil from his youth. Practically from the time we're born. As newborns, of course, you don't have an evil heart. But how quickly, as children begin to grow and develop, do we see those stubborn, those ungodly characteristics arise? Not wanting to be told what to do, wanting to have their own way, being lustful and greedy, and all of those other things. Man, you could say, when he is born or say shortly after he is born, develops a heart condition. We develop a heart condition. We have a terrible heart condition. And there's only one way that it can be fixed. And that is through surgery. But there's only one person that can perform that surgery. Only one. But the interesting thing is, the person that performs this surgery, you can't call him up and make an appointment you can't say hey i've got heart problems i need help you can't do that god calls us and he offers it to us as we know jesus christ said in john 6:44 no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him god has drawn us out of this world and he has offered us that surgery if we will partake of what He has offered. As we read in Ezekiel 36, the rest of mankind is going to be given this opportunity in the future, in the kingdom. Yes, they're going to be given that opportunity, but we have the opportunity now, in this life, in this time, to have that new heart placed within us. And those of us who have been baptized, as I said earlier, we have gone through that. We have had that change of heart that is required. And those of you who I know there are many, many, not only here, but all around the world, who are being called at this time, we are getting many, many new people. And God is opening up that opportunity to you as well, if you will seek it, if you will seek to have that change of heart. Before God called us, we didn't even know that we needed surgery. A lot of us probably thought we were pretty good people. We weren't out there killing. We weren't out there stealing, raping, and doing all the other things that we think of as being horrible. A lot of us were quote-unquote Christians. We were going to other churches. We understood basic laws of, of human decency. We thought we were doing okay. But then God called us, and He opened up our eyes To see that we do have a heart problem. That we do have a heart condition. We don't always know and see things that are happening in our lives. On a physical level, you could be very sick right now and not even know it. You could have cancer. You could have all kinds of things. About three years ago, my father had a stroke. He thought he was doing pretty good. He was going and working out at the YMCA on a regular basis, four, five, six times a week sometimes, exercising, trying to eat well. But yet there was something else going on in there that he didn't realize. And it wasn't until he had that stroke that he realized that there's something greater going on. And about eight months after my dad had his stroke, I was sitting at my desk one day writing, and all of a sudden I couldn't write properly. It was chicken scratch. I said, what's going on? And I tried again, and I couldn't write. And I kind of stood up and walked around, and I said, this is weird. And I realized that my right side was weak. There was something wrong. It turned out that I, too, had had a stroke. Fortunately, it was a very mild one, comparatively speaking. But I was, quote-unquote, a young man, 30 years younger than him. I thought I was in good shape. I thought I was healthy. I thought I was strong. I found out. Something that I didn't know because I hadn't taken the time to look to see. I found out I had high blood pressure. At the time I had the stroke, it was probably really high. I don't know what it was. I didn't even go see a doctor for some time afterwards because I tried to deny the fact that it had even happened. But that's another story. The point is, we don't realize what's going on inside of us if we don't actually look for it, if we're not actually paying attention God expects us to be paying attention to our lives. We've got to be looking at our heart. The fact that God has called us, that He has given us His Spirit, that He's put within us a new heart, a clean heart, it doesn't stay that way unless we're doing the right things. And we've got to make sure that we're asking ourselves the right questions and saying, am I doing the right things with my life? Am I doing what is pleasing to my great God? turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 2 Corinthians 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 12 we read therefore since we have such hope and we we do have great hope don't we we have a hope of a future of eternal life in God's family. Since we have such great hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted until the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. You see, when God began to call us, he lifted that veil. He opened our eyes to be able to see, to see who we were, to see what our lives really were. So that we could look at ourselves and say, oh, wretched man that I am. I need a new heart. God lifted that veil. He opened our eyes to understand the truth, the way to life, the way to live. Their minds were blinded and the veil was lifted and taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We have to turn to God in order to have that veil lifted. And if we begin to turn back away from God, if we begin to turn back to the world That veil is going to slowly come back over and cover our eyes again. Many of us have been in the church many, many years and we have seen it happen. We have seen people in God's church that we thought were just the best Christians who now no longer believe the truth. The veil has come back over. It's as if they never understood it and they never knew it. That veil is lifted and God gives us a heart of flesh, so that we can know Him, that we can understand Him. But we have to do, in essence, the turning, as it says. We have to turn to God. God gives us the opportunity, but we have to do our part. If we aren't doing our part, that veil is going to come back over. That heart is going to begin to harden again. We've got to make sure that we're doing our part, that we're paying attention to our lives and to what we're doing so that that veil can remain clear and our eyes can remain open and we can truly see and understand what it is that God expects of us, what it is that He is doing in our lives. What kind of heart surgery is it that we need? We understand we need it, we see it, but what really is it? What what does it entail? What do we need in order to change this heart of stone to a heart of flesh And to keep it that way. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And now, O Israel... Who are we in this room? We're spiritual Israel, aren't we? We're spiritual Israelites. He's talking to us as well as the ancient Israelites here. What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that what Jesus Christ told us? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what we're supposed to be doing. There's a lot that that entails. It's an easy thing to say it, but are we really doing it? Are we really loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind? Go on, going on here in verse fourteen. Indeed, heaven and high, and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also, the earth with all that is in it. And then dropping down to verse sixteen. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. You see, the type of circum- the type of heart surgery we need is circumcision of the heart. Our heart is there. But it's got something encased in it, is the way I kind of look at it. You've got a hard casing that's completely encrusted it. And the longer you live in the ways of this world, the thicker that casing gets. And the harder it is to remove it. And we've got to make sure that that hardness, that stiff-necked Israelite hardness of our hearts is removed. It is circumcised. It is cut off. And it is put away. And out of our lives completely. You see, we can't fulfill what it says here in verse 16 of having that heart circumcised if we don't live what we read in verse 12 and 13. If we don't love our Lord, the Lord our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, our hearts can't be circumcised. We've got to have that great love, that awe, that respect, obedience to Him, obeying Him in all things. Turning over a couple of chapters to chapter 29 here in Deuteronomy, we read a lot of times what is referred to as the blessings and cursings. In verse, chapter 29, verse 1, it talks about that the words of the covenant, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them at Horeb. So he's saying, this is another covenant I'm making with you. At Horeb, when he gave them the Ten Commandments, that was one covenant. He gave them those. Now he's giving them other things that he has to do. And he goes on to say in verse uh, 2 that now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before you in the did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and and to all his servants and to all his land the great trials which your eyes have seen and the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear. Israel, ancient Israel, had not had that veil lifted. They didn't get it. In spite of all that they saw, they still didn't get it because their heart was still hard. They hadn't had a change of heart. They had seen these things, but they hadn't given their lives to God. They didn't have God's spirit. They didn't have that new heart within them. And so going on then through in in chapter 30, we read then on about When all these things in verse one, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord, your God drives you and you return to the Lord, your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord, your God will bring you back from captivity. We read about what happens when they're brought back from captivity, didn't we? This is obviously prophetically speaking. Israel wasn't in captivity when this was written. They had just come out of captivity. He says, I'm going to bless you if you do these things, if you keep my covenant, if you obey me. Dropping down. Let's pick it up in verse 14. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. God's Word has to be in our heart so that we can do it, so that we can live it. And then in verse verse 17, But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. Ancient Israel is told, If your heart turns away from me, you will die spiritual israel if our heart turns from god and we allow ourselves to turn away we will not only die physically we will die spiritually and that's much worse we've got to make sure that our heart is right verse 19 i call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today against you that i have set before you life and death blessing and cursing Therefore, choose life that you both and your descendants may live. God commands us to choose life, to choose life forevermore. That's what He wants us to have. But choosing life means that we have to recognize that we need to have a good heart, we need to have that surgery. To have that new heart put within us, and we have to maintain the health of that heart. If we don't do that, we are choosing death. The heart is one of the most vital organs in the body. It probably, you would say, is the most vital organ because you take someone's heart out and they are going to die immediately. You can take many other organs out and you'll live. But without a heart, you're dead. You're stone dead. The heart we're talking about today is not a physical heart, as I said, but it's a spiritual heart. But that heart being good and that heart beating, that heart is much more important than this physical heart that's beating in my chest. It's much more important. Without that spiritual heart beating, we will die spiritually. The spiritual heart is in kind of a cardiac arrest if we turn away from God. A physical heart can be revived. It can be given new life. But if we turn away from God, we choose death. We choose to die. We ask God to give us a clean, a pure, a lively, a beating heart. But we have to make sure that we are using it in a way that pleases Him. That we are loving Him. That we are obeying Him. We ask Him to remove that stone covering, as it were. Day after day, as we go through our lives, we're going to go up against all kinds of trials and tribulations and problems. And sometimes we kind of turn away a little bit. We're not as close to God as we should be. And hopefully at a point we begin to recognize that and say, I have got to get back to God. I have got to get closer to God. And so we go to him and we say, God, remove this hardness that is starting to form across my, around my heart. It's cutting off the flow of blood, the spiritual flow of blood. God's Holy Spirit flowing through us is cut off if our heart is not good, if our heart is not right. And so God will jumpstart our heart, spiritually speaking, so to speak, if we do seek him, if we do ask him. The Apostle Paul wrote at length about circumcision of the heart and circumcision in general. Turn back to Romans chapter 2. One quick scripture. There's many places that he talked about it. But in chapter 2 of Romans, he went through quite a bit. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Let's pick it up in verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. You have to keep the law. You have to obey God. God is not going to circumcise our hearts if we are not keeping the law, if we are not obeying him. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Picking up in verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. The physical circumcision just has physical benefits. The spiritual circumcision that we're talking about here today has lifetime benefits, eternal benefits. That's what we have to seek. We have to make sure that we are watching and paying attention, asking ourselves, what kind of condition is my heart in? Where is my heart? We've got to make sure that God is leading us and guiding us in every direction in every facet of our lives because if we don't we're going to end up veering off to the side we're going to end up getting distracted we're going to end up turning away but if our heart is right and we are seeking God and loving Him with all of our heart with all of our soul and with all of our mind God will help us through the difficult times He will give us the strength that we need to carry on The circumcision of the heart that occurs at baptism and the laying on of hands is not the end all. We know that. It's just the beginning. God has put within us that clean, pure heart at that point in time. But now we've got to make sure that we keep it nice and clean and pure. You ever buy a new car? You drive it off the, the lot And you're just so proud of that car. It's shiny and clean and bright. The tires are armor-all. The chrome is all shining. The windshield doesn't even have a bug splatter on it. And you want to keep it that way. You want to keep it immaculate. You want everybody to say, Wow, that's nice. I like that. You really take good care of your car. It's important to you. It's just a physical thing. It's just a physical thing. If we care that much about keeping our car clean... How much should we care about keeping our heart clean? What's more important? What's more important in our lives? We've got to make sure that we are keeping that clean, that we're doing everything that we can. Looking at that car, if you will, day in and day out. You see a little speck of dust on it, you wipe it off. You drive down the road and get a bug splatter on the windshield, you get out the Windex and clean it off. It's important. Because if we allow that car to get dirtier and dirtier, eventually it's just going to be another old car on the road that nobody cares about. We've got to make sure that we're keeping our heart clean, that we're keeping our heart strong. We've got to exercise it. When a person has a stroke or a heart attack, let's say a heart attack, your heart stops They jumpstart your heart, they get out the defibrillator, bam, you know. What happens? Guy jumps up off the table, hey, thanks doc, see you later. Heads off down the road, good to go, right? Not quite the way it works, is it? It takes hard work to get back in shape. If you've ever known anybody that has had a heart attack and heart surgery, it takes time. It takes time, and it takes a lot of effort. You have got to change your life. I had a client years ago that had a stroke, and the doctor told him flat out. He said, if you don't change your life, the next time you're not going to be so lucky. He walked away from his first stroke, and it scared him. He used to drink like a fish, smoke like a fireplace, and swear like a sailor. He fixed the first two, at least for a while. But then he slowly kind of slid back into it. He began drinking some more. He began smoking. He went back and forth. He eventually had another stroke. He wasn't so lucky on the second one. He wasn't so lucky. He got excited after the first one. I need to do this. And he was trying to exercise and lose weight and do this and do that. But then he got lazy. He got busy. Life got in the way. We can't let life get in the way of making sure that our heart is strong, that we're exercising our heart, spiritually exercising, making sure that we're doing what God expects of us. God doesn't expect that much of us. He really doesn't. A lot of us read a lot of books all the time. People going to college, they've got all these college books, they learn this, they learn that. God says, I only care about one thing. All you got to do is learn this and live according to it, and you'll have life. Real simple. This is all he expects of us. Just do what it says in here. Love him, obey him. If we do that, we'll have a strong heart. We'll be strong spiritually. We'll be able to keep going We won't need surgery again because we'll be doing the things that we need to do. So we have a bad heart. We talked about that. And then we get surgery to repair it. And so you say, okay, now we need to keep it strong. We know we've got to live according to another way, we've got to do things differently. We've got to eat differently, spiritual food. We've got to think differently. We've got to act differently. It's not easy. It's easy to say. It's not easy to do. It's not. Many people have tried to do a lot of things. And as we look back at examples in the Bible of people that we can look at and say, you know what, this person really had a good heart. I'm sure that, when we think about somebody in the bible as an example the first person that comes to mind jesus christ but right behind him king david because we know he was a man after god's own heart but i want to start off with another individual and look at him and what happened to him as a warning as it should be to us turn back to first samuel in chapter 10 first samuel 10 you see this individual was around before David was around, so to speak. And he's an individual we all know very well, named Saul. In first Samuel chapter ten in verse one, we see that Saul here is anointed king of Israel. In verse one, it says Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb. And I won't read all through that, but he told him what was going to happen to him. And so picking it up then in, in verse uh, chapter six, we read after, after Samuel had, had gone on. He says, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. I'm sorry, Samuel saying this. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. He says you're going to change you're going to become another man god's spirit is going to come upon you it's going to change you and so he goes on and let it be when these things when these signs come to you that you as you do as the occasion demands for god is with you he said god is going to be with you he's going to change you And so we see down in verse, in verse eight, it says, so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day when they came there to the hill where the group of prophets to meet, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. Saul was given a new heart. He wasn't given a bad heart. God doesn't give evil gifts. God only gives good gifts. Saul was given a pure heart and a clean heart. But he didn't do with it as he should have, as we all know. If you drop over a couple of chapters to chapter 13, we see that in verse 1 here, one year, one year, After he had reigned as king over Israel is when this next thing takes place. And once again, without going through the whole story and taking the time to go through it, most of us know the story. Saul decides that he needed to get this offering done. Samuel wasn't coming on time. And so finally he says, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm not waiting on Samuel. And he knew better. It wasn't that he was ignorant and thought it was okay. He knew better. He understood. This is not something that the king does. This is something that the high priest does. And so, dropping down to verse 12 of chapter 13... In the second half of the verse there, Samuel's talking to him. And he says, there, Samuel says, Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He felt compelled. Oh, I had to do it. The people were leaving me. I didn't have a choice. Don't you understand? Do you ever say that to God? I'm sorry, God, I sinned, but I didn't have a choice. The guy didn't leave me a choice. I had to sin. What do you think God thinks about that? You think he's okay with that? Oh, it's okay. I understand. I understand. Yes, he does understand. He understands absolutely that you sinned. That you allowed your heart to turn away from him. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. He said, You knew this. You haven't kept God's command. You disobeyed him. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Samuel says God wants someone who has a godly heart, godly character, someone who's going to obey him. And so, as we understand, Samuel continues on his way. And God took away his kingship from him. God said, I'm going to give it to another man, a man after my own heart. And so over in chapter 16, we see what happened here. God sent Samuel out to to ordain, anoint another king of Israel. And he sent him to the house of Jesse. And Jesse goes through one son after, um, Samuel goes through one son after another, after another. And finally, dropping down to verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or his physical stature. Because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks out at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And so they sent and they got David. And dropping down to verse 12, we see, So they sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Once again, God said, this is a man after my own heart. And God's spirit then came upon David, just as it had come upon Saul. And I'm sure it doesn't say it here, but I'm sure that in essence, God gave him a new heart as well. A new heart to be able to do great things. Just as God has given us a heart that we can do great things, not necessarily physically as David did, but spiritually. And we know what David was able to do because David was a great man. God's spirit was with him and eventually it was in him. God's spirit was with Saul, not necessarily in him but with him. But he didn't use it. And if he had used that, God would have given him his spirit, just as he did David. But David took what God gave him. He took that heart, and he went forward, and he did great things. You just turn over another chapter here to chapter 16. Of course, we see the example of David going up against Goliath, going up against a giant, He didn't worry about it. He understood, I'm a different person. I have special help. I have God's Spirit. I have a heart that will get me through this, that will help me to do this great thing. This uncircumcised Philistine has said these things about my God. I'm not going to take it sitting down. Nobody else would do anything about it. And David says, I can't stand here idly and just let this go on. This is not right. He stood up. He had great courage. And he went and he fought Goliath. Wasn't much of a fight, was it? Here you've got a guy that's, who knows, 12, 14 feet tall. All kinds of speculation on what his height might have been. Maybe he was just a short 10 feet tall. We don't know. Bigger than most of us here, I think. But David, he looked at him, and here's David. It says he was, wasn't that big of a guy. Saul was a big man. Saul stood head and shoulders above the Israelites. David tried to put his armor on, and he couldn't even get that on because it was too big and bulky on him. He says, I can't go out there with this stuff on and fight. He just went out there in his regular old clothes. He took a slingshot to a gunfight. And yet what happened? He won. He won, not because he was so great, but because he knew that God was there with him, that God would give him the victory. That heart gave him courage and no fear. No fear. If you look back a couple of chapters here, to what happened with 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 Saul in chapter 15 verse 24 Saul had failed to kill agag he had spared the best of things samuel had confronted him with it and what did saul say what was his reasoning Chapter 15, verse 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. But then he adds in a disclaimer, Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He says, I feared the people. What? You're the king of Israel. You have no need to fear anyone. What you say goes. You have the power over life and death. He says, I feared the people. A godly heart, a pure heart, doesn't have fear. David didn't have fear. He showed great courage, incredible courage. And these are two of the aspects of what a pure heart is. As we look at ourselves and our lives and say, is my heart right is my heart good are you full of courage or do you have fear which is it which is it do you go out each and every day being strengthened by god's spirit or trying to stand on your own trying to do it yourself because if you're trying to do it yourself you're going to have fear we all are going to have some fears from now and now now and then i understand that that's just natural it's physical But we've got to put those fears aside. When we begin to have them, we go to God and say, God, this is difficult. This is tough. I don't know if I can do this without your help in order to be able to overcome those fears. David showed that courage and that utter lack of fear when he not only went out to fight him, he didn't go down timidly. He ran right at him. He says, boy, I'm taking you down. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And he took him down because he had God with him. He had a heart that God said, this is a heart after my own heart. That's the kind of heart we've got to have. An uncircumcised heart, a pure heart. A heart that is strong, not weak. David went through his life and went through many, many things and he didn't fear if you turn over to Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm, but something that just shows that whole attitude that he had of knowing that his life was in God's hands. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You think that might be a reference to what was going on there when he fought Goliath? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David had to know that on a human physical level, he could not ever prevail against Goliath. And yet he went right in there, fearlessly. Fearlessly. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. God should be a comfort to us. As we face difficulties in life, we don't fear them. We go to God with them. And God will comfort us. He will help us through them. If we go to him. When God performed the surgery of circumcision on our hearts, He gave us His Spirit to go along with it, to strengthen our heart. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy, I'll find it eventually not first second Timothy chapter one, verse six. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. What is the gift of God? What are we talking about? God's Holy spirit and that heart of flesh. That's the gift. He says, stir it up, which is, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We should have a spirit of power, knowing that we can do all things through our God and through Jesus Christ, who strengthens us, who gives us what we need to be able to overcome the obstacles of life. Life is difficult, it has its obstacles. It has its difficulties. But if we go to God and we allow Him to guide and lead our lives in everything that we do, we're going to know that even though it may seem on the surface to be a really difficult thing or almost impossible, that God can do it. God will perform miracles in our lives over and over again if our heart is right, if our heart is pure. A heart of flesh is not a weak heart, it's a strong heart. Let's look at an example of someone who had a little bit of both. He had some courage, but he also had some fear. Turn over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. Let's pick up the story in verse 24. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Be awesome to be able to do that, wouldn't it? If your heart was so incredibly pure, could you walk on water? If you had that great a faith, could you walk on water? Could you move mountains? If you had faith of a mustard seed? In order to have that kind of faith, you've got to have a pure heart. Jesus was walking on the water. It says, now, in the fourth watch, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter, he looks out there and he sees him and he says, Wow, that's really cool. Can I do that? Can I come out there? Jesus says, Sure. Come on out. Come see me. Come out and come be with me. So, what happens? Peter, he jumps out of the boat. And lo and behold, he's walking on the water, isn't he? But what happens? Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Little faith. He had initially the impetus to do it, but yet he didn't have enough faith. He wasn't close enough to God. He took his eyes off what he needed to be paying attention to, and he began to sink. He began to sink. You see, Peter didn't quite have a new heart yet. God was working with him. The veil was being removed. But he didn't have God's spirit quite yet. That wasn't given until sometime later at the day of Pentecost, was it? He'd forgotten about all the miracles that Christ had done. He'd forgotten about all the great things that he had seen happen and he suddenly got stuck in the here and the now and he began to fear. He looked around at the waves and said, oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? What was I thinking? He didn't have that perfect heart. He still had some fears to overcome. Eventually, as we know, he did. What if David had doubted just a little bit? What would have happened to him? Well, obviously, he didn't. He didn't fear. He went straight at it. I'm sure that he had to summon up all the courage that he could to be able to step out there and go up against that giant, but he did do it. And he put that fear aside and he went right out there and he did it. He had what Peter lacked. He had absolute, total faith and trust in our great God. And that's what we have to make sure that we have. If we don't have total faith and trust in our God, our heart is not pure. Our heart is not clean. It's got a little bit of dirt on there that needs to be cleaned up, to be cleaned off. Peter had... A little faith, but not enough. Not enough to get him through that particular trial. And so he looked down and he began to sink. We've got to make sure that we keep our eyes focused on the goal of where we're going and what God is doing in our lives. Making sure that we aren't getting caught up with the here and the now. Because when we start getting focused on every little thing in the here and the now, we lose that big picture Of what's really going on in totality of our lives. What God is doing with us. It isn't easy because naturally we we see what's happening right now in my life. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I really need this. And sometimes we get so distracted with those things that we take our eyes off of where they should be. We lose the faith that we should have. Faith is a big component to having that pure heart, that clean heart that God desires to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. No fear, courage and faith are three attributes that we must put on to keep our hearts from turning to stone. But there's still yet another attribute that we have to have as well we find that over in First John, First John chapter four. First John chapter four, verse 17. loved us a perfect heart a clean heart a pure heart is going to have perfect love love first and foremost for God loving him with all of our heart with all of our mind with all of our soul and love toward our fellow man absolute perfect love is your love perfect? Do you perfectly love every single person in this room? Or do you have animosities? Do you have contentions and those types of things? We need to make sure that we are looking at our lives and saying, Am I really exemplifying this trait of being full of love? Having the love of God flowing out from me. It isn't something that we just hold inside. It's got to go out from us to others showing that we really care about others more than ourselves. Being willing to lay down our lives for our fellow man. The absolute ultimate show of love toward our fellow man. is having that attitude. Looking to others. Esteeming them better than ourselves. This is the kind of love that God expects us to have. Jesus Christ lived a life of love. He came to this world out of love for us, out of wanting us to have a part in his family. He emptied himself. He gave himself for us. He laid down his life for us so that we can have love. He died so that we can have God's Holy Spirit and we can have that new heart placed within us. That is the ultimate love. Once again, as we think about those who exemplified love in the Bible, many, many examples of of numerous individuals and what they did and how they showed love for their fellow man and how they cared for others. But once again, David is right up there at the top of the list, showing that he loved God over and over and over In the Psalms, he talked about loving God, loving his commandments, loving his statutes, loving his laws. That's what a person who's after God's own heart does. A person who has a pure and a clean heart. That's the mindset. That's the way you live your life. If you have that clean, pure heart, you are going to love everything there is to love about God. Everything. Everything he tells you to do, you're going to love it with your whole heart. You're going to give your life to him. You're going to lay down your life, if necessary, for him. Many, as we know, of the apostles died giving their lives for the truth. Laying down their lives, literally, physically, for that. David lived a life of love loving others but most of all he showed a great great love for god he showed that kind of a heart through that love that we have to develop having that same kind of love that he did i can't go through all of the examples we could spend hours going through that needless to say david was was set up there as an example for all of the kings of israel saying As your father, David, what did they do? How did they live their lives? They were judged according to what David did. David was the highest. The others couldn't live up to, quote-unquote, that same level that he did. Some of them were good kings. Some of them were not. I don't think any of us doubt whatsoever that David loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, until the day he died. And one of the last things he did before he died just goes to show his courage, his lack of fear, his faith, and his love. Let's turn over to 1 Kings 2. 1 Kings 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, and let's just begin here in verse 1. Now the days of David grew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon, his son, saying... Now, let's stop right here. David knew he was going to die. And so he calls his son in and begins to talk to him. Do you see any fear there? Do you see that he... Fear death whatsoever? No. He said, I'm going to die. That's fine. But here's what I want you to do. And so he talks to his son. He says, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. He's encouraging his son to live a way of life as he lived a way of life. He says, Be strong, be courageous. And and prove yourself a man. Being the king of Israel, if you just tell everybody else to go out there and do it, and you don't get in there and do it with them, you're not proving yourself a man. You're proving you can give orders. David got out there on the battlefield and he fought. He fought hard. He laid his life on the line. And he was respected for that by his men by his country, they knew what he had done. He didn't just have the kingship handed to him on a golden platter and he just sat nice and safe in his in his throne room and in his you know city or whatever. He went out there. He fought. He fought hard. God expects us to get out there and to fight too. We can't just sit at home doing nothing. We've got to be courageous and strong and go out and do the things that God expects of us. If we're just sitting at home and minding our own business, saying, well, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying. But are you really getting out there and are you really doing anything? Are you actively involved in the work? Are you really setting an example, being a light to the world? Are you hiding your light under a bushel? What are you doing? David said, be courageous, go out there, prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ju- judgments. He says, you obey God. Have a right heart, a pure heart, and a clean heart. If you do, God will bless you. He goes on to say, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and whatever, wherever you turn. He says, there's a blessing if you do it this way. If you obey God, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. Obey God. Obey His commandments. And that's what God is saying to us. You obey me and my commandments. You clean up your heart, clean up your act, and I'll bless you. If you don't, you'll be cursed. That the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed of their ways and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. He said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. God made a promise to David. And David knew that God would keep it. God was faithful to keep his promises. And he said to his son, you do these things and you will be blessed. God has promised it and it is sure. It will happen. It will happen. If we do the things that God expects of us, we do everything in our power to make sure that we are spiritually strong, that our heart is beating strong, that it is being circumcised regularly getting rid of the parts that are no good cleaning it up making it pure and right before our god god will bless us there's many things that we have to do and the things i've talked about today are just a few of the things that we have to do in our lives i realize that but it's just a reminder just a reminder to say where am i with god where is my heart What does God see in my heart that I don't see? Go to God and ask Him. Say, God, show me where my heart is. Show me what you expect from me. Show me those areas that I need to clean up that I don't see. Because if we do that, God will show us. He will lead us to what we need to know and to understand. We've got to make sure that we don't fear man Satan or anything else but that we only fear God and we have courage to go out and do whatever it is that God requires of us whatever it is you're willing to do it have that courage courage to go through the trials and tests of life knowing that there is an awesome future in store for us if we will do these things we've got to have a repentant heart Repenting, asking God for forgiveness and for help to help us to clean up our heart, to make it pure, to make it right. And we've got to show that through love, love for one another and love for God, that we are doing our part. We love God. We love His commandments. We love everything that He has for us. We don't, we're thankful, as we heard in the sermonette today. Be thankful for whatever comes along. Count it all joy when you enter various trials? Yes. May not seem joyful at the time, but ultimately, we look back on some of these things and we say, you know what? This really was for my own good. God's love has got to transcend everything else in our lives we've got to lay our lives down for him we've got to give our life to him and if we do god will bless us brethren i've just had a few things to say here today that i hope that can be helpful it can be encouraging to make sure that we do have a heart of flesh not of stone if our heart is a heart of stone we're dead Let's make sure that our heart is beating strongly and so that as we look forward to this upcoming Feast of Trumpets, we look forward to actually being there when it is fulfilled, when Christ returns, that He looks at us and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. It's an awesome opportunity that God has given us. We have an awesome future, but we can only obtain it If we have a change of heart.